Welcome to episode 66 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast featuring conversations in Canadian theatre. On Stageworthy, I sit down with actors, directors, playwrights, and more and talk to them about their life in the theatre. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Music or whatever podcast app you use and consider leaving a comment or rating. Those really help spread the word about the podcast. If you want to drop me a line, you can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. My guest is actor, playwright, and director Rosemary Doyle. Rosemary is also the owner, operator, and artistic director of Toronto's Red Sandcastle Theatre. No, so one of the things that uh, that uh, is fun for me is when you like you sit there and everybody's just like the thing I love about aging actually is that the world the population of the world is getting better and better looking. Mm. Like every time when I walk down the street, like I remember when I was twenty, I thought the world was full of like just ugly people, <laughs> right? And I find every year that passes a larger percentage of the world looks great you know it just looks amazing right it just looks amazing i'm like oh everybody's so attractive yeah it's it's quite funny it seems like directly in in disproportion or the opposite proportion to what i think about architecture you know like when i was young i used to look at all these beautiful buildings and i'm like every building looks like it's made with lego blocks yes Bad Lego blocks, like Darth Vader Lego blocks, and I hate it all. But but people, I think, are getting gorgeous, and I think that's just maybe my eyes are going, maybe I don't know. But also, just I think youth in general is gorgeous, and I think my what I believe because I believe mm-hmm. I am young. My what I think is youthful now goes up to about seventy five. Well, there, there, there you go. There's there's a certain blinder that the youth that when you're younger that you have. Where you only think like, ah, oh, only my age and younger is can be beautiful. Yeah. And then as you get older, those blinders sort of, oh, my age, my age and younger is. Yeah. A lot more of that. And it's there's a lot more of that. Younger. And you yeah, see, exactly. yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like for me, you would, I think I've always thought that people about, you know, 30 years older than me have always been very interesting and attractive. Mm-hmm. Right. Like when I was 10, I, I thought people who were like 40 was were amazing. And now I think people who are like 80 are amazing. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. There's always like there's a, the when you were when I was a kid looking at people who were older, there was always that. Um, you must know so, so much. much. Yeah. <clears throat> I know that I'm one of those people. I'm like, when do I get to know all that stuff? Well, you do actually though, because every day you learn something. So it's not because they're smart. No. It's just that every day you learn something I know. like my son today, I have a 19 year old and my son today, he, he turned to me in, in conversation. We were talking about eye color cause I have an unusual eye mm-hmm. color, but my two sons both have my eye color. So they don't think there's anything unusual about right this kind of orange eye that we possess. And I, he's like, oh, that's why that girl was staring at me. That's what he said. <laughs> I'm like, yes, that is why, because you look like a freak. Anyway, but I was telling him this, and then we were talking about more unusual eye colors, and I was saying, well, there's this thing called lavender purple mm-hmm. eyes, which Elizabeth Taylor was supposed to have had. And he, I'm like, and that's a very small percentage of the population. And he goes, really? And he goes, who's Elizabeth Taylor? Yes. Yep, yep. Which made me want to die. Of course. Yeah. 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 I'm like... <laughs> I work with people who were born in the 80s and so... Yeah. Or, or 90s now. In, and yeah. So, and a lot of the... Re- I'll be like, oh, it's like this. And they'll be like, I don't even know what that is. Exactly. But it, why can we blame them? That was no, last was century. Not. It was last century. Right? It's like, like, it's for almost... Me, it's like second nature to think that way. And for them, their references are gone. But every time I do it, I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm the old guy. Right. How'd that happen? How'd that happen? And this is the other thing that I find funny is that, uh, like, when I was a youth and my whole life, I've been obsessed with the 20s, like 1920s Paris particularly, like all those writers, all those life stories. I spent my my late teens, early 20s, right through to my 20s, reading basically everything that was available to me from mm. that time period. If it was in that time period... 
I read it. So I kind of have my own unofficial doctorate in that sort of thing, you know, like never went to school for it, but that's what I did. So what I found was really interesting is just six months ago, it occurred to me that it's almost the 20s again. (laughs) (laughs) Like, well, I'm going to be alive, knock on wood, in the 20s. Well, how do we make this flapper... Era. era thing come back in well the time. right now we're almost trying to start the war again aren't well, we hey let's, hey, let's have it. a war yeah, we're, we can, we're almost well, on schedule well, to get that exactly for the hundredth anniversary is over exactly so you know that seems to be what's going <clears throat> on right like it's yeah. a little scary I, know. I mean we've got our own little personal you know for lack of a better word dictator mm-hmm. coming in mm-hmm. right trying to do his thing and you know to replace the word jew with muslim and you've got it all going on well i mean that's i mean that is a fact and that is one of those those frightening things about living right now mm-hmm. is it so obvious yeah it's the other interesting thing about it, i saw this quote from henry rollins just the other the other day that was like Everybody's freaking out. This is the end of the world, and, and but you know what? It's not. This is punk rock time. Oh yeah. You know, this is like the same kind of thing that, that birthed the Sex Pistols and the punk mm-hmm. rock in, in England. If we can just harness the rage and keep it going and turn it into art, yes, yeah, that is the thing. Well, I've always believed that every play, and part of the reason that theater is so alive and dynamic is that every play is not just that play. You're never just putting on that play. Mm. You're putting on that play with these people at this particular moment in time. Mm-hmm. So all the references of every play that you do need to... It's not, you're not in a vacuum. No. When you walk into the theater, although, yes, we paint it all black, we turn the lights down, we bring the lights up, you're never in a vacuum outside of your society. You're always watching with the baggage that you've brought into the theater with you. Yeah. And I think anyone who thinks that that's not going on is missing the point of having a live experience. I also think that, that sometimes, I mean, some young companies don't think about the why. Yeah. Of they're doing it. They sometimes think, I'm doing this play because I like this play. Although I think that's that, a good that's why. Okay I, mean, that's a good, I mean, it's like it's like all those, you know, Nui Blanche comes along and yeah. goes through the program and you're like, what is this going to be? Yeah. You have to read through the line of the arts grants. Oh my God. Which is really just translates into, I thought it would be cool to put a thing on a thing. Yeah. But you can't say that. No. And it is good to say, I want to do this. But I think sometimes it's also important to say, I want to do this and... Now is the right now time. Now is the for right this time for doing this. Yeah. Acts. Well, I find the wildest thing is going to the AGO. Like I'm a member. It's mm-hmm. the one thing that I from the time when I used to have money to now is the one thing I didn't give up. Right. Right? I kept that. You know, haircuts have gone the way of the dodo, <laughs> but my AGO membership yep. is in good standing. Um and one of the things I love doing is going and walking around and looking at the art, oh my god, my phone's on. I'm so sorry. That's all right. Um, we'll just let we'll it. Let we'll just let go. it chime go in the background. Yeah. So, is one of the things I love doing is, yeah. Hello, Red Sandcastle Theater. May I help you? <laughs> That's my life. Like well, at three o'clock in the morning, I'm like, of course you Are can you get tickets. That at oh yeah, I answer it 24 hours, <clears throat> seven days a week. Well, I guess when you you have the responsibility of this of this building if it yeah. rings at three o'clock in the morning who knows what it's, who for. Knows what it's for no but i'll take i often it's drunk people wanting tickets like <laughs> and i'm like sure and they're like oh i didn't know you'd be open i'm like no problem so they must think i have this like robot, like robot sitting in a like little box office like, all yeah, the time yeah. you know and they often think that they're going to call an answer machine so they, they don't do. really mind no. anyway but what i was saying about the ago is that uh you've got the little things and sometimes i just love looking at the painting and then reading the description mm. and the real art is in the description mm. it's just so beautiful like what they thought they were going to do right. is yeah. so gorgeous it's always interesting to think of of how things change over time between mm-hmm. what the the writer or the original artist created or meant right. to create and to what it's become over time and how precious people want to make it, which was yeah. ob- ob- sometimes just not the point. Know, yeah, like yeah. Yoko Ono, I went to see Yoko Ono's uh, exhibit a couple mm-hmm. bunch of years ago, and one of her ones is you would walk up onto a ladder and look 
in a little box and it would say sky or something mm. like that. I'm not exactly sure. Don't quote me on this. But there was some, the, the experience was to walk up the ladder and look at this word. Right. So, of course, at the exhibit, you're not allowed to walk on that ladder. Oh, you're not allowed to go look at that word. Of course. You're just yeah. allowed to read the description of what happened back in the 60s when they were groovy. She had right. another one where you were supposed to take a nail and, and hammer it into this piece of wood. Mm-hmm. But now, of course, you now can't you do, can't no, do no, that. No, no. no. Is it? It was it just like the piece of wood that they had hammered into? Yes. Then? Okay. Yes. yes. Now right. you can't now go you and can't participate in the art, right. in the art anymore yeah. because she's too important. <laughs> you yeah. you are you have become less because mm-hmm. she has become more right. to the point where she has become untouchable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing with our society is that we have created this thing called fame, mm-hmm. which makes people untouchable and as artists that is what we we are in art to be touched we are in art to make a difference to speak Mm -hmm. to people to create to share stories to create stories to be part of that society and then we get to a certain level where we're respected but that respect almost makes it impossible to do our thing anymore it's like the idea that that um you know limitation is good for you yeah and then when you get to a certain point and there are no limits it's like you know the limit is now going to the grocery store right. <laughs> you know you know you look at somebody like daniel lapage who yeah. was given like their robert lapage or robert lapage robert lapage uh and you know the cirque du soleil was like you know we've got this they'll build a theater to do whatever you want right and to build to direct the show you're going to direct no limits because the casino doesn't have any limits. Yeah. So then there's like, there's no limitation on that. And limitation, so much can happen when you're limited, when you give yourself a limitation. That yeah. You get around. So then he has to almost artificially impose them on himself, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. He has to say, I am going to do a thought experiment and stick myself within these parameters, right? right? Wherein uh, at like the theater at the here at the Red Sandcastle, you can do things like say, uh, your budget is zero. See yeah. where you go from there. Well, <laughs> I'm expecting you to go over budget, you know. <laughs> but like, yes. let's see what yeah. you can do. Yeah, right. We're sitting in a room uh, right now where they have made, like this is a whole kitchen. They've utilized yep. some of the stuff that's here to build a whole kitchen. Bedroom, living room, dining room. Like this is a this is a home. They even have a piano with a foyer. They do. Yes, they do. Yeah, which is pretty amazing. Yep. Um, and this light goes on and off. The dining room chandelier, chandelier goes on and off. Goes on and right. off. It dims. It does the whole thing. Dang, dang. Mm-hmm. Now, just to it's to, a great show, by the way. A rabbit hole. It's amazing. Rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's I mean, going till the eleventh. I was looking at the cast, and it's a great. Cast. Oh, they're amazing. Yeah. Really beautiful. Yeah. Um, We've been sort of rambling for a bit, and I haven't sure. had a chance to ask you some of the things that I really want to get to. I mean, sure. Good. I love, oh, rambling. I love, I love rambling. rambling, so yeah. it's great. Um, but I actually wanted to ask you about, to start with, before we start talking about the Red Sandcastle, okay. about um, when you first started wanting, wanting to be involved in theater. Oh, interesting. Um, eight. I've been, actually, okay. before that, mm-hmm. because I've been doing it since I was eight. Mm-hmm. So uh, before that, I used to take ballet lessons, and I did, like, little school plays and stuff, um, but I used to do these ballet lessons, and I there was a really thin coffee table. Probably every house had it, you know, the fake teak tof- coffee yeah. table, which was about a foot off. It had the two little fake drawer handles on this edge of it, yeah. and it was big and long, about maybe a foot and a half wide and about five feet long. Mm-hmm. And I used to get up on there and I used to do my ballet dancing on there, which would make my uh, dad's friend, Patty O'Brien, apoplectic because <laughs> the couch was such in such a way that this coffee table was like, if I went to the one end, I would, if it had flipped over, I would have gone through the right. giant picture window. Uh. But I guess I never killed myself. <laughs> and because uh, I'm still alive to tell the tale. But uh, yeah, I've been doing that sort of thing. And I, I had a very... Well, I had the voice that I have now mm. when I was little. Mm. So, like, ah! oh, yeah. okay. You know, I've been a singer since right. I was little, and I had a very grown-up voice. So, when I was eight years old, I went and I uh, there was a talent show, 
And my mother had been making me sing when I was little mm-hmm. at parties and stuff ever since I was little. And and I had started to take a few singing lessons and I was taking ballet and stuff like that. And I went and I tr- did this odd, like, I tried out for the talent show. And so there I am, eight years old, and I won second for my category. This really cool dancer won first. Anyway, but I sang Memories from Cats. Okay. You know, so that's the burnt out ends yeah. of touch me. You know, I sang okay. that yeah. at eight years old. Okay. And I sang Danny Boy at eight years old. And I'm like, now in retrospect, I'm thinking, why did I sing such depressing songs as an eight-year-old? <laughs> but, you know, I'm yeah. Irish. Maybe sure. that's just part of my culture. Um, so, yeah, so I've been doing that. And then when I was 12, I uh, auditioned for Annie at the Grand. Mm-hmm. And I got the part of Annie. And I, but I'd been doing some like uh, different shows at school and stuff. But that was the first big one at the Grand. And I got the part of Annie. And it was really funny because I went for, because I had brown hair, I went to rehearsals for two weeks, assuming that the girl who was Annie was going to show up at any moment and that I was just filling in for her. And nobody told me this. This is just what I thought. Of I was course, like, yeah. there is no, I was in denial. I was like, there is no way that I've actually gotten this part. <laughs> right? So it took me two weeks to figure out that the part was actually mm. mine and that I was actually going to be doing it. And somebody just recently, actually, just a, a couple of days ago, uh, uh, Margie, she, uh, Margie Boy, she, just posted a whole bunch of pictures from Annie on my Facebook wall. And I was like, oh my God, it was so little. I still look like me. It's really weird. You should check it out. It's me, just smaller. smaller. Yeah. Um, Do you remember when you were eight, so before you were eight, do you remember, was there any kind of catalyst or any kind of particular thing that you remember that made you want to do it? Or was it just something that you did? Oh, um, I guess the first production I ever did I had a, a my teacher, Mr. Fair. Like it gets a little confusing because I'm fairly young at this point. Mm-hmm. I remember, I remember in kindergarten. I guess that would be earlier than that. So in kindergarten, at a different school, my teacher had been an extra in the Little Rascals when she was a kid. Uh-huh. And I used to watch The Little Rascals a lot. And I think she kind of piqued my thought process that this is something that you actually could do for a living. Like that the people on TV were pretending to be mm. people mm. on TV. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So I, it kind of piqued my interest that way. Mind you, I didn't like her at all. We didn't get along. <laughs> um, because she had this, they had these things where you could be like the cutouts they had cutouts of the animals from right. from Sesame Street, and you could yeah. pretend to be Big Bird, or you could pretend to be whatever. And she had me on the water table for like three days in a row. She had this system where you were supposed to rotate, and I guess I, I guess her system was a little faulty, and I ended up on the water table for three days. Right. So then I was like, I just left the water table, and I went to go and play with the... Um, with the cutouts and she's like no you're on the water table and i'm like i've been on it for three days i'm just going home and so i went left to go home i lived very close we shared a fence with the school so it wasn't like impossible yeah. anyway i left to go home and she's like you can't do that and she made me sit next to the heater in my snowsuit for the rest oh. of the day so then i went home and i told mom that i quit school so i quit school in kindergarten she just made me go to a different school oh. but yeah so i, I but i think I guess that was like I was acting right from yeah. the get go. And then when you were after Annie, was that yeah. your you know you doing that at the Grand? Was that like your first? Did you do what? Was that like now I need to do more? Or you know what? It was never an. It was just I did. Mm. Like from the time I did Annie, I was doing five shows a year. Mm. Wow! Right from then, it was mm. just like one after the other, after the other, after the other. I was like, this is something I do. Mm. I'm good at this. This is what I am. Hmm. Right. So I did HMS Pinafore. I did the Mikado. Um, my teacher in grade seven and eight was really, uh, really amazing. She she put on these big musicals. Hmm. 
And so uh, we did a lot of that. And then Gord Love was my acting teacher in high school, although he never gave me any parts. I think he was a little miffed at me. I don't know. But I was also doing a lot of community stuff at that point. So uh, so I didn't do a lot of stuff in the actual right. school. But, but he was a really good acting teacher. Right. Yeah, I just didn't, you know... <laughs> I don't know. When you when you finished mm-hmm. high school, yes, um, which I didn't do. Which you didn't do. Okay. Yeah. Did you did you pack it in? Did you drop I, it out? Did no, you... no. What I did was a year before in grade twelve, because uh, at the time it went to thirteen, right? I actually had thirty eight credits, mm-hmm. which was enough to graduate. I didn't just didn't have the right credits. Right. I needed two more credits because it was the whole OAC oh, thing, yes. like, and you couldn't get your grade twelve anymore. Like I was in no, this yeah, yeah, stupid yeah. little pocket of I, idiocy. I remember that pocket of idiocy. Yeah, I was yeah. in the pocket of idiocy, and also I didn't have, uh, and I was also an honor student, so it was kind of funny because I, right. I didn't graduate, but I got a whole bunch of awards the next year because I was on the list for them. Anyway, so what happened was I auditioned for AMDA a year early just to try it out, right? Like just to try out auditioning. And then I got this letter saying that I had been accepted to AMDA, which is the American Musical and Dramatic Academy uh-huh. in New York City, that I'd been accepted to AMDA with a scholarship, oh. with a, like a full scholarship except for uh, except for uh, housing, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> so what are you going to do? Are you yeah, going to stick no. around to get your two lousy credits and lose the scholarship? No, you go to no, New York because yeah. they thought I had graduated because in the oh, States, they only shit. went to grade 12. Uh-huh. So when I had sent them my grade 12 transcripts, they thought you were done. They thought I was done. Did you ever get busted? Did they I never got there? busted. Fuck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got a college degree, mm-hmm. but I do not have a high school diploma. Well, <laughs> so, which mm-hmm. is the problem because I always was very academic. So I've never gone to university mm-hmm. because there's always been this, you have to do a year of adult learning oh, center, geez, yeah. you know, or your first year you have to like whatever. So I just, it's always been this small barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. Like, like even when I came back to Canada, I went to be a, like, I tried to go to seed and get my two care, two credits. So I was taking an art and an English at seed. Right. And then I got Shaw, the Shaw festival. So I didn't get to finish those credits either. And then I tried to at the Shaw Festival to do it by correspondence. And I was just too busy. And and then I got married and I had babies. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. I just never did. So you did all of these things. Yeah. And then when when you got married, did you think that you would continue to act? I was was always acting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you you got married, had babies, but continued. And I made it very political. I brought my kid to all my auditions. Mm baby in her arm with baby. Did that? Did that yeah. Did yeah. It made me go from working to not working <laughs> basically. Yeah. No, it was very, I actually got phone calls mm. from people, which is very illegal saying, hi, we'd love to hire you, but you have a baby. But you have a baby. Yeah. But what are you going to do about the baby? And do you really want this job? And I'm like, well, that's why I auditioned. Cause I wanted the job. Right. And, you know, there are things called nannies and babysitters, yeah. right? So, yeah, no, it was it was very, hmm. like, I'm right now I'm wearing the pussy hat that Lynn Griffith gave mm-hmm. me two days ago. Yeah. I wear it with my ears tucked in because I didn't actually go to the protest, so I feel you ashamed. Feel no, These I are think... my ashamed ears. But one of the things about it is, is that I feel like as a woman, I have been actively protesting my mm-hmm. whole life okay. yeah. so in a in a good way like in a right. positive i'm just going to do it anyway i don't care about your ceiling right yeah um did <clears throat> interesting that that you would get these calls that they're not allowed to make but they made them anyway yeah um do you feel like that was something that, that happened to other people as to well? other women other women other women hide their babies so they don't want the people that they're auditioning for to know that they have babies because yeah. they think that they're not going to get hired because of the baby? Yep. Is this primarily theater? Uh, I think it's all yeah. all, all performing arts. Mm. Lots of people hide the fact that they have children. Or they'll talk about their children, but it's like this like thing. They never actually see the children. Yeah, or they'll, they'll, you'll, like you never talk about your children in an audition. Right. Hmm. Like, okay. like all actresses are supposed to be barren or something. Mm. But it, if a man talks about his children, they, he's more likely to get a job. Of course. Yeah. It's really funny. If an a, yeah. All the actors I know that are men, 
Once they've had children, they get more jobs because people are like, oh, we should give him a job. He has a family to support. And it's like, oh, we shouldn't give her a job. She's busy with a family. Yeah. Right? It's this really weird mm-hmm. thing. I don't know if it's as prevalent now as it was when I was, like, with me, I was having my babies in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Right? So, I don't know, the late mm-hmm. 90s, early 2000s. So, yeah. I think a lot of things may have, have switched a bit. But I, I was very in your face with I'm a mom. Well, somebody has to be. Yeah. Right? I mean... If, if people are, are hiding the fact that they have children mm-hmm. so they get the work, somebody's got to be the one to say, to bring them in to sort of say, it's not. Yeah. It's not right. We, yeah. We have babies. Yeah. Well, what I think is so wild is I'd be at these auditions with my baby and they'd think that that was scandalous, but the guy would be sitting there at the audition with his dog. Right. You know, like, oh, you're allowed to bring your lab. You can bring your dog in, but you can't, yeah, like, can't bring your baby. Yeah, it was a little interesting. But, uh, yeah, so it's, whatever. I'm sure it didn't do my career any favors, but then again, I think it did my life a lot of favors mm-hmm. in that I, I at least... When I did, it was working, I was working with people who I was simpatico mm-hmm. thought-wise with, right? right. So, yeah. so I feel like in this world, we're always, we're always balancing that. Like, uh, sure, you can be ambitious. You can get that dream job. But if it's a dream job with a bunch of people you hate, then well, it's well, not a, it's dream, not job, a dream job. Right? No, mm-hmm. the people you work with is a, is a, have a huge impact on everything about your job. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's very, very important. And you want... Like what I discovered with opening this place, this is like great. I've I've been wanting. Well, it was interesting talking about Gord Love, my theater teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd opened this place for a while, and I got get this message from him on Facebook saying, "Congratulations, Rosemary, on getting your theater," <laughs> because I had wanted to have a theater mm-hmm. since I was in like I've been talking about it since grade nine. Mm-hmm. Like heck, I've been talking about it since I started theater. Right. The thing that I really loved was the actual building and uh, like just the place you know it's the canvas of 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 the performing arts and one of my favorite people in the world well two of my favorite people in the world are nancy helwig and jim gerard and they've really been mentors to me my whole life and nancy helwig knew me from when i was eight years old she often says she saw me thing Mm -hmm. and i kind of grew up at the grand theater Mm -hmm. like i've done 33 shows at the grand theater in kingston And uh, she knew me from I was little, and I've always been just as fascinated with her. Like, I'd come by, and she'd be, like, scrubbing the bathroom, and I'd be, like, in there, uh, you know, (laughs) thinking. And all of that stuff, the making sure that the seats are all Mm. set, that all the lights are set, that the box office is Mm. doing its thing. Like, my first job, actually, uh, paying job, was uh, when I was 15 years old. Nancy Helwig gave me a job stuffing uh, envelopes for the Grand Theater. Mm. And I believe that doing that is part of theater. Mm. It's mm-hmm. just so amazing. Like, right now I'm doing the accounting for my friend Jackie English. She's making a, a movie, and I'm right. doing her, like, I'm her bookkeeper, right? Not an accountant, but her right. bookkeeper. And so I'm sitting there in my on my bed, because that's kind of where I work. Turns out, feng shui-wise, it's in the career section of my house. Oh. Always wondered why I liked working there. Anyway, but... <laughs> sorry, it just, no, 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 no. I just found that it's out great. today. I thought, well, wow, interesting. Awesome. Anyway, so I'm sitting there on my bed with all the... Covered with receipts and, like, the book and the stapler and the my little Excel spreadsheet. And I'm filling, filling around. And, and Adam Bonnie sitting at the end of the bed just kind of reading a book. And I turn to him and I go, isn't making movies glamorous? <laughs> Right? Like, there I am, looking, putting in the little addition, making sure all the cells add up right. It's like, it's so glamorous making movies. I'm making movies right now. (laughs) Right? Well, I mean, one of the things that there is a glamour to all the aspects. Um, But here we are, we're in in your theater, the Red Castle. Um, And you were saying you've always wanted to have a theater. Always. So, what was the catalyst for this? For this, the Red Sandcastle. Well, I've always wanted one. This oh, this God. theater had many opportunities to exist far earlier than it did. Okay. But I was married at the time, mm-hmm. and I had a husband who said no mm. all the time. I'd be like, how about this little place? Mm. Like, so uh, just in this neighborhood alone, mm-hmm. I'll tell you the buildings, which I almost got. Okay. Okay. Where, you know, uh, here and now, the clothing store? Yeah. 
that was a place I wanted to turn into a theater. That was back in 1996. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, The... You know, the three buildings, there are now three buildings. There used to be one. It used to be called 700 Queen Street mm-hmm. East. Mm-hmm. It's right next to Jilly's. Yeah. That was a building I wanted to turn into a theater okay. back in 1995. Okay. Uh, and I could have bought that whole building mm. for $150,000. Huh. A steal. Said no. Uh-huh. It even had three like pool tables. And at the time, after hours clubs or, or you know, speakeasers or whatever yeah. they were called, uh, were really in vogue, and yeah. I could have like run an illegal, but not that I would have. No, of course, nothing of course. illegal mm-hmm. ever happens. Nope. But I could have done that, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. And I was younger then; it would have been hilarious. Mm-hmm. It even had three pool tables. I could have paid that place off in a year. <laughs> anyway, so that I was going to. There was a place on Degrassi, mm-hmm. which has now been knocked down, and it was an old. Uh, metallurgy shop but it had parking mm-hmm. and it was uh it's now been knocked down and turned into townhouses okay. so there's a building yeah. on there i wanted so i even looked at the place where um the place that is now uh I, the flying the uh center of gravity right the okay, place yes, that is center yes, of gravity yes. mm-hmm. i looked at that when oh, it was geez. up for sale years ago okay yeah and it was the reason i didn't go for that a is because Michael said no, but B because it was just so bloody large, and I was thinking right. that's that's more like the, the like the theater was too the whole the building. building. That's, the building's massive. The building's massive, but I almost had Michael convinced to, that we could move upstairs and yeah, the whole <laughs> bit. Like yeah, um, but he was he was very uh, very risk averse, right? And also always. He didn't have a lot of faith in me as a human. Uh, but that, you know, things like that are the reasons that we're not together anymore. And and then what happened was uh, he and I finally split after 10 years of not good. Mm-hmm. Uh, we finally split in February of 2011. Mm-hmm. And then this place uh, came up for rent in April mm. of 2011, and I got this place because mm. nobody could say no to me. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And um, what was the, like, so you moved into this. Is this a storefront theater? This was a pottery studio. A pottery studio. Which I had to renovate into a storefront theater with the hang- thanks of many, 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 many friends mm. who came and lended their support and their just... Sweat equity. <laughs> so it went from, I guess at one point it must have been a store. So it was a pottery came, studio. Okay. And for, for 16 years. For 16 years. Run by a woman named Ethel. Okay. Which is, uh, she, her middle name was Ethel. Mm-hmm. And which I thought it was funny because it turns out my middle, like, well, it doesn't turn out. No. It's always been that my middle name's <laughs> Ethel. But I found out that her name's Ethel because right. some postage came for her. And I was like, this place has been run by a crazy person named Ethel now <laughs> for 22 years. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Ethel means noble, by the way. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so you and with all those people who, who came and helped yeah. turn this place from a pottery studio into a theater, you brought in lights, you hung yep. rods. Yay, Craigslist. Yeah. Yes. You've got, a, you've got a little booth, you've got like your whole... Yeah, I didn't have everything to start with, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the one thing, I think part of the reason that I'm still here mm-hmm. is that I am willing to wait mm. until money, resources, and opportunity right knock on the door. So a couple of things came together, like I had no idea what... A, what to do. I thought I gave him a year's rent up front. It was really funny because he called the landlord called and uh, said, so you want to rent the place? Cause I had left him a message and he's like, uh, I go, uh, yeah, he goes, uh, okay. Uh, what do you want to do? I go, I want to put in a theater. He goes, uh, theater. And I go, I'll give you a whole year's rent up front. <laughs> and he went, uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. So then I came and saw it. And uh, I looked at it. He said, so you said a whole year's rent up front. I'm like, oh, yeah. So then we uh, walked to the bank and I basically gave him all my money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just cleared out my, my bank account, which I had been saving since I was eight years old. Okay. This was an account I always put money into and never took money out of. Right. Oh, my God. And I had been okay. saving money in this account 
for years, years and years, constantly just anytime I had a baby bonus check, I stuck it. Mm. So when I say I'm not government funded, I guess I'm slightly wrong. a little bit. Slightly wrong. Yeah, I stuck my baby bonus checks in there. Mm -hmm. And anytime I made a little bit of money, I'd stick it in that account and just not Mm -hmm. touch it. I'm a very patient person, and I think it helps. Yeah. Um, so I had this little nest egg, and that's what I threw at this project. Hmm. So I had that money, threw it in here. Then I had a little bit extra left over to renovate and do that sort of thing. And I totally lucked out on Craigslist. What was happening was right at the time when I decided to do this, like the fate, like the universe was on my side. Um, right when I decided to do it, I went on Craigslist and... Uh, Believe it or not, a church in the suburbs, some sort of uh, evangelical church Mm -hmm. that just had like an office space in the suburbs Mm -hmm. was going out of business. Okay. (laughs) Like, how do you go out of business as a church in the suburbs? I don't know. Okay. But I got the initial three risers from them. Right. I got that curtain that's at the front Mm -hmm. and the curtain rod. Not the curtain, but I got the curtain rod. Uh Uh-huh. With totally different curtains. In fact, you may have seen the curtains because I often use them in my pantomimes. Those one with all the weird flowers on them. (laughs) Yeah, the kind of 70s flower print. Nice. It was those curtains. So initially I had those curtains up there. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, I got the little sound system from them, Mm -hmm. right? Which gave me a basic sound system. I'm getting to the point of upgrading that. Uh, and, And I got the chairs. Right. Right? So I got all this stuff. That kind of set me up. And then there was also a guy who, on Craigslist as well, who gave me my initial lights, mm. which was for 3000 bucks. Mm. I got the setup that I have of the lights, like basic lights. Mm. Since since then, I've upgraded consider- yeah. considerably. But I got the basic lights. I got my first pipes, the first pipes to put in. Mm-hmm. He had all of that. Wow. And, and also, he was an electrician, so he set up my electricity to be able to do it. You right, out. I the the universe said yes, Rosemary. Yeah. You're making a leap of faith. We have faith in you too, and it was amazing, mm. really amazing. What was it like running a theater, like a storefront at that when you first opened? Did was it were people just happy to have the space to do? <gasps> yeah, something, or was it people were enthusiastic and happy and lovely? Um, I opened it in May. The first show I had in here uh, was my best, uh, a beautiful friend of mine. Uh, she had just done her show on Su- Susanna Day Hamnet. Mm-hmm. She had just done her show Nearly Lear on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And she traveled to Australia with it. Nice. And it was this one-person show. And I was like, Susanna, you have to open my theater. Mm-hmm. I've opened this theater. And it, actually, she and her husband were here, like, taking down <laughs> stuff, bringing down walls. He's a cabinetry maker. Yeah. He, like, helped me out. He was, like, one of my one of my angels. Nice. Steve Simeon, one of my angels, this guy, George Hewitt, who I have, beautiful artist, one of my angels, like lots of these people came and helped. And um, so she agreed and she did her beautiful show here and that launched it. So it was like from Broadway to the Red Sand Castle Theater. It was like so beautiful. And then that brought us through into the summer. And then what I was able to do was that fringe that first fringe that was on during the time mm-hmm. that i had just opened i was able to go to the fringe and like just talk up the theater and mm-hmm. and and so a bunch of my first shows were actually hits from the fringe that i was able to bring in nice. here and then after about six months people realized i was here and mm-hmm. people started calling and and that kind of thing well one of the barriers to production previously mm-hmm. has always been somewhere to do it somewhere to do it yeah like, and i remember a year a lot of years ago, like trying to find a spot to do a theater, your options, you have basically had like three options for really expensive. Yeah. Well, this is part of the reason I opened this theater mm-hmm. as well. Like one of the things that made me actually do the leap of this needs to happen was I, uh, you know, the pitch blitz at, at Pass Mariah. Yeah. So yeah. I go to the pits, Pitch Blitz, which I've never been able to say. In fact, for the first couple of years, I was calling it the Peach Blitz for some reason, <laughs> which is wrong. Anyway, I go to that, and I go in with my play. I've written this play. I still haven't put it on. I need to, like, this damn Jenny's Friends. I need to get it put on sometime. Anyway, I go in, and I pitch Jenny's Friends, and he turns to me, and he goes, so you want to put this play on? And I'm like, uh, yeah. He says, so you want us to put this play on? He, I'm like, uh. Yeah. He goes, oh, 
we're fully booked for the next two and a half years. And I went, oh, okay. So, so that can't happen. I'm like, oh, okay. So considering they invited us to pitch, yeah. I then walked into the lobby and, it, and also granted, I may have been a little more emotional than usual because my marriage was disintegrating, yes. right? So that's, I will take that into consideration in telling this story. I walk into the lobby and I look around and there's all these people sitting in the lobby and two of the people are actually Lynn Griffith and Sean, who became really good friends. Right. But I didn't know them at the time, really. Like, I just knew them in passing. Anyway, I walk into the lobby, and I start to cry, just bawling my eyes mm. out. And part of the reason I started to cry was not just for the disappointment of me, but the fact that everybody in this lobby was waiting for opportunity, and there was no mm. opportunity. There was no real opportunity. So here we are wanting to do our art with nowhere to do it that won't financially cripple us. And the number of people that would come up to me, artists that I loved, like, and say they just did a show and they were like, it was a really great success. We only lost $6,000. And I would be like, what? What? No, no. It it struck me as so incredibly wrong. Mm -hmm. And so... I opened this place because I needed to st- stop that or or at least, you know, the the whole idea of be the change you want to see in the world. I had to be the change I wanted to see in the world. Yeah. And I wanted there to be a canvas for us as, as artists to be able to put on our thing. I mean, like I often say, sure, as an art, a, a painter, I can take my rubber boot. I can paint my rubber boot. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. I can make that be art. I can paint a stick that I find. I can paint it. But it's so much easier with a canvas. Mm, You know, it's so much easier to show other people what we've done. You take a canvas, you stick it on a wall, everybody gets to look at it. You want to do theater, you have a place that's set up that has lights and sound and chairs and risers and a way to get tickets and, you know, a dressing room where you can change and a few things around where you can put the show on. It's just easier so yeah. we can actually get to the art. We're That's, not struggling I mean, with how to do it. We're struggling with it. Well, that I mean, that is the thing. Is that, like I've been a part of those shows that were like you finish and then you look at the books and go, we had great turnout. We just don't have any money now. Yeah. Because all the money went to the rent on that theater. Yeah. Um, right? Yeah. And it's like – and it has to be that way to a certain extent because of the amount of money that they're paying. But mm-hmm. – like, people wonder why this place, ha- I have no staff. Staff is expensive. Well, I mean, when Like, the amount I'd have to charge, yeah. like, I don't get paid basically anything. Yeah. You know, I just kind of skim through life, you know. Yeah, when, when you're renting one of those spaces, you are paying for box office staff. And yeah. Maybe some ushers, and you're paying for a the, janitor and the janitor and the, the, the technician and yeah. all that stuff. So that's what the price is there, but it makes it so that... If you can't get a grant, you can't afford your fucking show. I know. I know. It's like, and so I am the, which is why when I looked at the place that is now Center of Gravity, Mm. I was like, no, that's too big. Because I could not by myself handle that. that. So you'd have to have staff and the price would go up. Exactly. Like I couldn't do it. The people that got it were the perfect people because they're a collective. They have the bodies to be able to run that. It's beautiful. I love them to death. They're Mm fantastic that when I go in and I see the aerials and everything yeah. and the circus camp that they're, I'm like, yeah, yeah, great use of space. Makes me so happy. Yeah. Um, but this place is the size that I can manage it. And because it, it's interesting, like I opened this place when I wasn't a housewife anymore. And I kind of feel like all those skills that I had as a housewife, uh-huh. Translated very easily mm. to being a theater owner because I was used to working my ass off and making no money. Mm. <laughs> you yeah. know, well, like yeah. I'm used to that. Yeah. I'm not used to the trappings of, like, I don't sit there at the end of the week and go, oh, I didn't get a paycheck for this. I feel mm. so useless. No, I had 18 years of I never got a paycheck yeah. for anything. So my self esteem had to come <laughs> from somewhere else, you know? And, yeah. and it's true. My self esteem yeah. comes from. The feeling that I'm doing something worthwhile. Yeah. And raising a family is worthwhile. And 
supporting a theater community is worthwhile. Like these, this is, you know, if I could make some money, that'd be great too. But you've, you know, one of the other things that you've done is, uh, you know, I look at your schedule and I noticed that, you know, in the summer you have your, your day camps at the moment. Yeah, I love that. You have your day camps. You've, you've really sort of integrated with the community so that people come to you for these sorts of things. Yeah. Is that something you fell into or did you plan for that at some point? That, Jen and Dave live around the corner. When I was walking here the first month, I'm like walking here to go do it. They're like, how's that theater coming along? I go, great. They go, you should have a kid's camp because I've got five kids. I'd put it in, put them in it. And I was like, okay. And that's how that started. Yeah. And it worked out really well. And I love doing my kid's camp because... Well, you know me, I like that's how we know each other from yeah. playwriting, yeah. is that this writing really fast thing is something I do well mm-hmm. and I really enjoy. And so like I got into playwriting because I did a 24-hour playwriting contest and I kept doing them and I won seven of them. Mm-hmm. I Like I won the first one I ever did and I kept winning them and, and that's just kind of, it, it just turned yeah. out to be that's some hidden talent that I didn't know I had, <laughs> right? So I've translated that to help me do this camp. Yeah. Because what I do is the kids come on the first day. I teach them about theater history in the morning in this kind of very hands-on way. Mostly I'm spying on the children. Mm-hmm. Mostly I'm figuring out who they are. Yep. And like what type of their energy is and what type of people they are, right? And how they, what skills they've already come to the table with and mm-hmm. what things we're going to work on and that kind of thing. And then in the afternoon, we decide, kind of because they know a bit about theater now, what type of play they want to put on, what type of characters they Mm want to be. Like, we ended up doing, last year, it was really funny, I had a really weird group, because I had all these boys who were, like, all these gifted boys, because they were from the gifted class, and I had all these girls as well, like, smart girls and stuff. But basically, the the boys decided they wanted to do Beowulf, and the girls wanted to be foxes and unicorns. (laughs) So I did a retelling of Beowulf with foxes and unicorns in it, right? Uh, But like, it was just so funny. Like they just come up with this stuff. So, so it's always a challenge and, and, and fun. So I write the play on the Monday night and then we spend the next week doing everything we do to put on a show. And for me, it's really fun because what I love about theater is that it really is a company and a group doing it. And I don't, I don't like, I don't like it when you get to the real, like I've done Shaw, I've done Mervish, I've done those things where you can't even put up your own zipper on your own dress, you know, where you have nothing to do with the set, where you have, and that's not, it's not my happy place, yeah. the paycheck's my happy place, yeah. but the actual, you know, yeah. but that's not my, my happy place is when you get to make the set and you get to do the thing and you get to be really part of the creative process Mm -hmm. so that's what me and the kids do we like build the set we make our costumes we like rehearse the part we like do the whole thing and then we put it on on the friday Mm -hmm. and so i think what's been successful about the kids camp for me is it gives me like i think of it as putting on a show with a troop of shorter people Mm -hmm. you know like like it's the same as i put on a show with with grown-ups it's just these guys happen to be young, like yeah. really young, sometimes five years old, <laughs> right? But like, but it's the same process for me as putting up any show. Yeah. And I really, really enjoy it, especially especially because it's so focused. You know, it's nine till three every day and we go to the park when it's the summer and we go and run our lines in the park. Like sometimes we play nice. line tag where you have to catch the person that mm-hmm. has their next line. Right. Right. And you have to like, you have to like do all that. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah. it's really fun. Well, you were mentioning earlier, you were mentioning a uh, 24 hour playwriting. Contest. Oh yes. The so thousand monkeys. The thousand monkeys. Um, Thank you. And uh, my favorite, favorite, favorite thing. It's it's one of the things I look forward to the most in the summer. Thank so you. That this because op- you know what I think you said once that you do a twenty four hour playwriting contest, and so you think I'm going to be writing with all these people, and then you're by yourself in your home. I know. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. And no, then, it's horrible. Yeah. It's like, and so you have this vague recollection that other people are out there writing too, but you don't see them. Yeah, no. The thing I love about the Thousand Monkeys is people arrive on the Friday night at six o'clock and they write their name with chalk on the wall. And then we go to my little 
dictionary and we flip it three times and you get three different words mm -hmm. and then then at six o'clock or whatever i guess people arrive a little earlier than six at six o'clock jane calls from new york city <laughs> with the theme she's my uh jane shield she's mm -hmm. my best friend who's a playwright in new york city and she went to tish so mm -hmm. she's really good at coming up with themes and stuff yeah. so she gives us the overarching theme and then we all spend 24 hours here writing the play yeah and it's so much fun mm -hmm. You know, at first I was going to, when I first had the idea, I thought I'd like barricade us all in so nobody could leave, but I'm not good at, at uh, enforcing that's, rules, so I didn't. <laughs> anyway. I mean, there's probably, probably downsides to doing that as well. Yeah, exactly. But, Fire codes and stuff, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, on the other side of that, you know, after that, that 24 hours of, of writing yeah. is getting the chance to read all this Isn't stuff, it amazing? Which is like so much fun to be able to just sort of say these things were written these things didn't exist they, ha like, they happened they here, happened here. Yeah. and the funniest part is when you're reading a play like we're all reading the play and we've been watching each other from the corner of our eyes writing it and you're like oh that's why she kept backing up and screaming yes. <laughs> you know yeah, yeah, you're like yeah. oh yeah. like remember that one year Barb was like ah oh, jeez yes. what the ah oh, doll yeah. Yeah, and then then you read her play and you're like, like oh that's what yeah, was yeah. going on yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so funny it's so like and the thing that that is always that i find gratifying uh from that is mm -hmm. at the end of that weekend i have something that i've written yes whether it is, and it's never going to be long, it's like almost never going to be long enough to like do, but you have like but you start. this draft yeah. that you can then build on. And you've heard it. Yes. So you know, is there something here? Is there, was this sleep deprivation or is there something here? Yeah. And then you can just start building. And the food's amazing. Yes. Right, because yeah. it braise gives us food, mm -hmm. and the Roy gives us food, and yeah. and Rashers gives us food, and the Leslieville Cheese yeah. Shop gives us food. Like it's such a bringing together of the community, yeah. and I love it when people walk by and they think, "Oh, what's going on here? Like a terrorist cell well, or I something?" Know, people are yeah. Always, like, <laughs> that night, like as the bar lets out, the drunk people walk by, and, <laughs> and like, they're what's like, "What's going on in here?" There? <laughs> yeah. Remember that time when the schizophrenic person came in and we had to give her a loaf of bread to get her to go? Oh yes. Yeah, that. that was yeah. so strange. Yeah. All kinds of weird people. But it's amazing. Yeah. What I'm amazed at, too, is it never bothers the upstairs neighbors because we're quiet as well, mice. I think I think the first year you thought you were saying, I thought there'd be more talking. Yeah. But for there the isn't. most part, it's like everybody comes in at 6 o'clock. The only sound is the sound of yeah, just and then around eleven, people get up and start having smokes and yeah, stuff, just like and angsty conversations in the in yeah. the smoking lot. Yeah, just like yeah. all kinds of like. So how's it going? Yeah. Oh, I don't, I don't know. know. I think I, I might know. have to tear the whole thing up. I've yeah, yeah. So crazy. Yeah. I've done that. Last year, I think I started writing, and uh, I was like two hours in. I was like, nope. Start again. Start over. <laughs> but it's like. I love that it exists. That yeah. play call that I wrote this year mm. is going on at the New Ideas Festival. Amazing. Yeah, it got picked up by them. And uh, they're actually, it's going to be on my birthday. Nice. March 8th is opening night. Amazing. So that's what I'm doing for my birthday. That's a great way to spend so your birthday. So that's kind of fun. And actually, I've got another play in the New Ideas Festival this year too, quite by accident. A mm. uh, play had to, for some reason, had to leave. Uh-huh. Right? So that play left. And I got this call, emergency call from Pat going... Rosemary, I know you can write quickly. <laughs> we need a 10-minute play. Here are your actors. Mm. Here are oh. the actors, because they'd already cast some actors of to course. be in this play. Mm. So I ended up writing to spec about for these actors. Mm. And so I wrote it on Thursday and Friday, and I gave it to them on Saturday, and they were rehearsing on Saturday. Crazy. So it's going on wow. on the 15th. Wow. And that one's called Y. Why? Why. But the letter. Why? The letter Y. It's yeah. just why. Just why. And then this, what, the one that I wrote here at The Thousand Monkeys is called Call. Hmm. Yeah. And The Thousand Monkeys, I mean, this is something that, I mean, there you do have repeat, a number of repeat people. Who come yes. Year after year. I've made such great friendships from yeah. The Thousand Monkeys. Like, people like these so, people are so... Never seen before. And yeah, just, and, and yeah. they become really close friends. And I think because we've all had this amazing shared experience. <laughs> when you... When you when you looked at somebody across the table at five in the morning after writing for so long, there's a certain feeling of you and I, we know this thing. Yeah, right? You know? Like it's like yeah. going to battle together. Yeah, you're absolutely. like comrades. And when you finish it, you're like, you know, everybody's like 
together and exactly hear the thing and it's it's a great thing yeah and the number of cross-pollination like friendships that have grown out of the thousand monkeys is really quite spectacular i guess because it's a filter system to a certain extent Mm -hmm. like people who are willing to do the thousand monkeys are a certain type of person yes right so i think it does bring you to simpatico it certainly gives you the opportunity to throw yourself into a thing yes like if you're a person who normally is like when you're right you're cautious and you take a long time to get started you don't have that no to you have a finite period of time. So just you are zoom. Just, yeah. Yeah. So you can't think, you can't judge, you just write. Which is, I think, why, why the fast thing works for me. Because mm-hmm. I think, if anything, I'm a little bit, I'm distractible and in the moment. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. think if I, uh, not that I have ADHD or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm just realizing. I'm like, uh, hmm, maybe. Anyway, but... It it lets me focus, mm. and it and I think I learned this skill about focusing on my own stuff. Being a young mom, mm. because when you have little kids, you have no time to yourself. Right. So if you get that fifteen minutes to do what you need to do, you have to do it then, mm-hmm. and you do do it. So I think you develop that kind of intensity of like you have to distill everything. Mm-hmm. So it has to be like like remember once when I first had Mackelson. Uh, he was like, it was, he was about a year and a half and, uh, I finally had a night to go out by myself, mm-hmm. right? Like without him. And so my friend, Mike Page took me dancing. And so we went to this club and I'm dancing and I guess I was dancing a bit hard and crazy because Mike had this feeling he had to keep turning to people going, she's a, a new mother. This is her first time out in a year and a half. Please forgive her. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> but yeah, it was yeah, like. Yeah. I'm yeah. having a good time now, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was like really yeah. funny, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, it's there, there's there's something about um, throwing yourself into it like that. I mean, talking about like Kasha, it took me eight years to write that play I did this summer. Right. You know, it was only there because you go. I was doing it that I had to finish. That you have to, that's a beautiful play, by the way. A really great play. Thank you. I would yeah. have written that. I would have still been writing that if I didn't have... If like, you didn't have a deadline. Have a deadline. Yeah. And having a deadline is... So like, great. Yeah. And I think yeah. in this world... You know what? It isn't even a deadline. You know what I think it is? I think what it is, is in this world, it's validation. Mm. You know? You have a reason for it to exist. Mm. Right? And I think in this world... Like, I, I when I walk around, the going back to the AGO, yeah. which is why it's so important to me... When I go to the section of the AGO that has all the medieval religious art, mm-hmm. you know, and the sculptures and stuff, and then you see a walnut, and in that walnut is the entire Last Supper mm-hmm. carved into this <clears throat> bloody walnut. Right. And you go, that's incredible. Like, yeah. how did that happen? People didn't have TV or the internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People didn't, had hours and hours and hours of time where they weren't doing much, yeah. where they could do something, they could you could spend eight hours doing that, and nobody would feel like you were wasting your time because yeah. you were doing something. Which now we fill up with. Did you see every single episode yeah. of The Walking Dead? Yeah, yeah, I did. Back in, I think watching every episode of Netflix was working on the walnut. Back in the thirteenth. Yeah. <laughs> oh. There's old Bob. Sure, he's working on the walnut. Yeah. Right? Well, aren't you working on your walnut? <laughs> exactly. You know? I actually think that, that there's something about uh, taking that time away. Like, people who say, oh, I'd love to write a thing, but I just don't have time. And you just want right. to like, turn off for an hour. Yeah. see what you get. You have time. <clears throat> like, I, I haven't had a TV. Like, mm-hmm. now I do because of the internet. Yeah. But I haven't actually had a TV in my life. Since I was 18, Mm. I never had a TV, Mm. right? Like, since I moved out of my house, I just didn't have a TV. And I used to upholster furniture and do all this stuff. And people would be like, Rosemary, how do you get so much stuff done? And then my friend Jessica, she came and lived with me for, like, a few months when she was between apartments and she lived there. And she's like, I now understand why you build all this stuff. You have so much time Mm. because you're not watching TV. Yeah. Right? But now I'm watching TV because it's... It's, it's there on the I, when I check my email, yeah. it's there telling me I haven't looked at it yet. Yeah. It's the same, like the yeah. scrolling the Facebook is the same yeah. thing. 
Although I think it was better when we used to just go down to pubs and hang out with each other. Well, you know that I mean we would converse in in, in real ways rather yeah. than screaming at in text. Yeah, true. and also you didn't have like you could have a conversation. You didn't you didn't have to feel like you were trolling someone if you talked too much to them on their page. Yes. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, if yeah. you went back and forth. Now if you go back and forth too many times, you're like, oh, yeah. have I interfered with their life? Yeah. You yeah. know, like before, if somebody was overhearing you talk in a pub. Well, it's a conversation. Of course they're talking. Yeah. But if you talk about stuff long ago, it's like, are you guys having an argument? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, oh, are you going to unfriend each other because you've talked too long? Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. No, it's it's one of those strange things about about the way that we are now spending so much time. We've replaced, well, sometimes people have two screens. They have their TV screen. They have their computer screen. Sometimes, sometimes it's on phone. the same bloody yeah, machine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you're watching a thing, scrolling through a thing, so distracted. Texting somebody else, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's hard. It's that whole, like, how do we get people off their screens into the theater, which is that whole... Yeah. yeah, yeah. But the other... But I think also people who do make the leap and go and mm-hmm. see a show, it's they start going to see more shows because it's so important. And I think... The major thing that is important is about the shared experience of the human, mm-hmm. right? Like part of the thing, the reason I think that we like Netflix, part of the reason I think that we like watching these shows is that even in the privacy of our own home, we have this shared experience that we can yes. then talk about, yep. right? Yep. Like we've all seen all the episodes. Yep. I think when it used to be just TV, if you weren't there on that Saturday, you missed it. Right. You know, but now you didn't miss it. You can go and be part of that collective conversation about that particular art form mm-hmm together but i think there's something about coming to see a show that is beautiful the one thing i that i would do differently with this place if given the resources like this place couldn't actually do it is have a lobby that was a bar yeah because i think what is missing from from this particular space that i'd love is a place where everybody could go after and talk about the show. Now, granted, we are close enough to Braised and we're close enough to The Roy and various other places that I do encourage the audience as a mass to go to these places to chat Mm -hmm. about what they just saw because I think it's about communication. It is about communication and there is something about that, um, like having that spot. You know, most theaters, uh, after the show, they'd be like, all right, get out. Get out, yeah, go. go. But to have a spot... Um, have you been, there's the Staircase Theater in Hamilton? Yes, I was. Which has like that, like they have their lobby, which is also a bar and a cafe. Yeah, it doesn't work well. Like, it's amazing. Amazing, amazing. That's perfect. Yeah. Perfect. I I always think that if I was going to open a theater, we'd have that. Yeah. And during the day, we'd have the cafe. Yes. And then. And that's what I want to do for when I open my Wild Festival like right now I've opened the wild festival just as shows Mm -hmm. to get the reputation going. But my next thing that I wish to do is actually have a a space for the wild festival. And part of that is having an active restaurant or that's my upstairs neighbor. Mm -hmm. One of the great things about the the, indie theater. You you, you have somebody who lives upstairs. Yes. Which means that you are competing. Yes. Like your show, you you have some stipulations about what can happen in this theater because you have people who. Yeah. It has to be quiet after 11. Right? No, no, I have big musicals oh, yeah? here. Okay. They just have to be done by 10.30. All right, then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just by 10.30, please be quiet. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah, they're, like, we've had, you know, I, I feel bad because mm-hmm. I've stepped on their toes a number of times. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they've been practicing guitar and I've had to tell them, no, please don't yeah. do that. You know, we try and be cognizant. Part of the issue is that a couple of years ago, the landlord did the redid the floor in the apartment and took out the insulation. Ah, that is a problem. So that wasn't, that wasn't a it's problem. Not, it's not their fault. It's not their fault. It's, they just did yeah, that. they just live there. They just live there. But, um, yeah. you know, so if I ever was to buy the building, I would correct things like mm. that. Right? Yeah. Like, so that would be amazing. Yeah. You know, there's lots of, there's lots of things that in the future, given the money, I will do things to... You know, I'm yeah. always improving. Of course. You should see my the uh, what I've done to the dressing room. Uh, I haven't seen it since uh, since uh, Eldritch Theater. So yeah, no, 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 no. I uh, I've done this whole big reno downstairs. Nice. Nice. Yeah, it looks really nice. I did nice. it because they filmed um, Jackie English's film. Yeah. Filmed downstairs, and they wanted to to look a certain way. So I just was like, that was one of the renos I was thinking of doing yeah. anyway. So I just did it. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So. What is the Wild Festival? 
Oh, talk about that. Oh yeah, the Wild Festival is a new thing that my uh, that I've started with uh, with Jen Watson and uh, and Dorian Hart. And what basically what we're doing is it's a festival devoted to looking at the world through the lens mm-hmm. of. Oscar Wilde. Hmm. So it's anything he's ever written or anything he would have liked Mm -hmm. and also anything he thought was important. So therein we get to discuss things which are important to me, such as uh, uh, LGBTQ, Mm -hmm. whatever, uh, rights, uh, the penal system, Mm -hmm. uh, beauty, wit, Mm -hmm. uh, bilingualism, all of those things, because Oscar Mm -hmm. Wilde wrote in both languages mm. he uh, all had things to do with the penal system yeah. and uh and of course the whole uh you know sex gay, sec- gay yeah. the whole gay thing yeah. is very uh important and yeah. i think that all those discussing those issues uh is a, a focal mm. point for the wild festival and also i wanted a place that kind of like like the shaw festival like the Stratford Festival, but more fun. Mm-hmm. So like yeah. the Wild Festival. It's got a great name yeah, too, Wild, name. right? So I kind of want it to be like the Fire Island of theater festivals, right? <laughs> like just you go, you have a great time. Yeah. And the space I want, I really want the original mm-hmm. space, like the headspace to have kind of a, a bar, a bar yeah. as attached to it. Because I think what we need to do is do really great, beautiful, witty, amazing shows and... Uh, and have a place for people to discuss after. Well, it's like it's like the 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 the, the fringe tent effect. Yeah. Like have a place. Yeah. After the show. I love go, the fringe tent. Right. Like Where's it going to be now? Oh, like where are they going to do? Scatting court. Scatting court. So, Dundas, Bathurst. Oh. Which, I don't know. I mean, I don't, we'll see how that works. Yeah, I'm sure I mean, it'll we're work. We're used to having it at, at Honest Ed's. Now, sadly, no longer with us. Yeah. And, uh, right by the subway and things like that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. See, I really loved it when it was at the Transact Club. Remember that? I do. But they oh, the I guess so, yeah. The trans- and the Transact never really liked having them there. Oh. But it got too big. For the yeah, place. I guess so. so. But I loved that. That it was, was so much fun. It was great. It was so great. And I loved it when they were like, everybody has to go inside. <laughs> and you'd yeah. be like, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. La, la, party, party. <laughs> <laughs> it was so much fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is great. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for, for talking with me. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure, Phil. Thank you. Thank you.